Dad and I had another fight. So I'm afraid if we stay under the same roof together, we'll do irreparable harm to the, the relationship we have as it is. You might remember why you moved him in in the first place. You wanted to get closer to Dad. I still do. There isn't anything I'd like more, but he makes it impossible. I can't read my book, I can't have my coffee, I can't have any peace in my own home. So what you're saying is you want to be closer to Dad, but you don't actually want him around. Okay, now that was Niles, and obviously that's from Frasier. Uh, Niles equivocating, meaning he's trying to make Frasier feel guilty. Niles doesn't want to take Dad in, and so he's trying to say, you know, you want to get closer to Dad, but you don't want him around, meaning you're full of contradictions, buddy. You know, you want Dad and you don't want Dad. But that is not the case. Niles is wrong. There's not a one of us alive that doesn't enjoy our privacy, that doesn't enjoy time down, time alone, especially if the, the healthier you are, you enjoy your own mind, you enjoy your own company. And your, your style of living may be very different from your father's or your mother's, even if they're very good people. One may be a little messier. You may be messier than your parents or your parents, like dad, his dad, Frasier's dad, loves his old torn-up chair. And so Frasier's got this very good, this gorgeous apartment, very clean, very modern apartment. And dad comes in with a dumpy old chair with duct tape on it, or I think it's duct tape. And it just, you know, it doesn't mean that you mesh with style. So what I'm saying is it's totally legitimate to value your privacy. It's totally proper to be able to say, I love my father or mother, and I would never want to live with my father or mother, meaning you have a different pace of living, a different style of living, not that the parent's immoral, and that you want to stay close to that parent. So if you're struggling with that, if you feel like you have caretaker responsibilities and you wish your, if it's an elderly parent, we're in assisted living, it's good for the parent sometimes to be an assisted, or many times to be an assisted living because they get their own dignity back. They, they're not barging in and living off their children. If they want to live off their children and ruin their lives the way their children ruin their lives, then I wouldn't go for that. I don't think that's right. I don't think anybody has a right to be an unwanted burden on somebody else, unless you have very young kids. If, if you're a parent and you have kids and you don't want your kids uh, because they have bad character traits, then you obviously need therapy and you know family therapy I would recommend there. But you don't have to take on, um, if there are other alternatives, um, the unwanted obligations. Of course, Frazier and his dad, you know, they, they get along so well at other times that this is just an out-of-context moment for them. I'm Dr. Ellen Kenner. My show's The Rational Basis of Happiness. And right now, I want to turn to our after-hours line for a parent who's struggling with potty training, toilet training. We've all been there. I'm Dr. We had a problem with a three-year-old child. Uh, he sometimes goes to potty and sometimes he doesn't go. Um, what could be the problem? We, we do all kinds of things and to try to get him to go, but he does it one day, and then another day he does it on the floor. Um, what could be causing this? 
Okay. Uh, when you're talking about potty training, first you want to rule out any mechanical problems, which is doubtful that there are mechanical problems. But you can talk to the pediatrician and see if, if he's in good working order, if all his parts are working well, then what it could be is anxiety or anger, any emotions. Um, kids, very often, kids and parents get into power struggles over potty training. Parents, as you say, do all kinds of things, but you didn't name what you do. Some Sometimes they try to bribe, and when bribing doesn't work, they get angry, then they get frustrated. I mean, if you have poops on the floor, you can be really frustrated if you're, just, if you're late for a doctor's appointment or you're late for, for getting to some event that you want to go to. And if the kid's doing it, to, if you can belittle the kid, which makes the kid more anxious, which makes him do it more, more, more likely than not, uh, or he may get angry at you because you're belittling him, and then you enhance the problem rather than diminish it. So several things. Sometimes parents treat an accident that a kid has as a crisis, and they make a mountain out of a molehill. You don't want to do that. Sometimes kids have been traumatized, and actually they're, they're, it's a cry for help for kids. And I doubt this is the case, but it's always good to rule this out. If there's been any sexual abuse, sometimes kids uh, will act up to get the parent's attention as a way to say, hey, please pay attention to me. Something bad is happening in my life and I can't tell you. Uh, sexual perpetrators often try to keep the kids silenced by either bribery or threats. Um, if it's just anger, then, and you may be angry back with him and you feel a power struggling developing, then you want to get the book, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk, which is on my website. And it helps you avoid all those power struggles and to work with your child to help them. You respect their mind. You don't try to force their mind. You don't try to humiliate them. You don't make it a big crisis, but you do set boundaries. You're not one of those parents who are like doormats and you let your kids walk all over you. And that book is will give you a lot of good tips. Again, that's on my website, drkenner.com. It's by Adele Faber and Elaine Maslish. It's how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. Uh, I got an email from someone and I'll read it to you. This is very sad. Uh, see what you would do in this situation if you were to give this person some advice. Dear Dr. Kenner, my wife and I are divorcing, and I don't want it to happen. I know I can't stop it, but I'm having much trouble accepting it. And it's made me an emotional cripple. It's making my life miserable. I know she doesn't love me, and probably never has, but I love her more than she will ever know. I just can't stop loving her and thinking of her. I've been receiving the typical advice from well-meaning sources, but nothing that I did already or that I that I it's nothing that I didn't already know or try. Can you tell me something tangible that I can use to stop this emotional pain and suffering that I'm experiencing? If I don't do something soon, I fear I will just lose control and react in a very irrational way. Please help me take the pain away, Ron. Okay, Ron. First thing is, if you are losing someone you genuinely love, you've got to go through the grief process. So I'm not going to take your pain away. 
I mean, that part of your pain, you've got to deal with. It's a loss. It's a legitimate loss. And you're very sad about it. you got to let yourself cry and feel the pain. If you try to repress it, you'll do more damage in the future because you'll be afraid of your own emotions. The second thing I would stop immediately is don't tell yourself you're an emotional cripple. Don't frame it as that you will act in an irrational way because your subconscious hears what you say. It's like sending an order down saying act in an irrational way if you can't get out of this and now you're an emotional cripple. Just see that you're, reframe it as you're a person going through a lot of stress and you want to have empathy for yourself. You want to treat yourself as your own best friend. My guess is you wouldn't tell your friend to act in an irrational way or that he's an, or he or she's an emotional cripple. The next is to recognize that it's a self, it's very possibly a self-esteem wound. It's not if, if your wife has good character traits, which I'm assuming, and she's leaving you, you may feel that I'm not a good person if she doesn't love me, which will make you want to cling to her. If you know you're already a lovable person, then you need social support. You need to see it in the eyes of those who admire and love you. If you're not a lovable person, make yourself more lovable. Use this as an opportunity for self-growth. Um, and also, you wouldn't want your wife to stay with you. If she genuinely doesn't love you and she hung around, she would be resentful of you. You would know that you were an object of pity, and that's not going to help anyone. So I highly recommend that um, that you give yourself some help, maybe get some therapy to help yourself through the grief process and manage this better. I'm Dr. Ellen Kenner on The Rational Basis of Happiness, and we'll be back Your with you. Your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future is whatever you make it. So make it a good one. Here's an excerpt from The Selfish Path to Romance, the serious romance guidebook by clinical psychologist Dr. Ellen Kenner and co-author Dr. Edwin Locke. Self-esteem is a critical psychological need. It is your evaluation of yourself as a capable and worthy person. Some self-help books tell you to simply accept yourself as you are. That advice cannot work because who you are or are not at this moment may be the problem. Even if you consciously try not to judge yourself, your subconscious will do it for you. It is essential to know the right standards to judge yourself by, to avoid suffering unnecessarily. Self-esteem is vital to your happiness, including your romantic happiness. If you do not respect yourself, you will not feel worthy of being loved. You can download Chapter 1 for free by going to drkenner.com. And you can buy The Selfish Path to Romance at amazon.com.